Well, good morning. I'm glad to be with you all this morning and worshiping with you. And uh, that time of communion is so sweet for, for us as a body of believers just to um, remember exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so I'm just so glad to share that with my church family as brothers and sisters um, this morning. And so um, if you've been here with us a while or even in the last two weeks, you know that we're walking through a series in the Minor Prophets. And so we're not going to waste any time this morning. We're going to jump right in to the text today. Um, and so, so you know we've been in this Minor Prophet series, walking through this Minor Prophet series. These Minor Prophets are what's called the Minor Prophets, the last 12 books um, of the Old Testament going into the New Testament. Um, and so that's where we've been. And our focus primarily through this minor prophet series um, has been on the people of Israel, right? That's where our focus has been, how they're behaving, how they're acting. Um, two weeks ago, we began in the book of Hosea, the very first minor prophet in the Bible. And it was here that we laid the foundation for this minor prophet series, right? That the reason why God is speaking through these prophets was to call his people back to him. He's saying, return to me. All right. That's what he's telling him. He's sending these prophets, these 12 minor prophets to tell the people of Israel, to tell the Jews, to tell the people of Judah, um, God wants you to return to him. All right. And we, we talked about how, how they have strayed from him. They've turned their back against him. They've broken his laws, right? They've, they've chosen to worship false gods, right? They've turned their back on the Lord. And so, God is sending his prophets out to say, hey, people of Israel, people of Judah, people of God, the Lord wants you to come back to him. The path that you're going down, it's going to mean destruction for you if you don't turn back to the Lord. And he desires for you to turn back. And so as we opened up in Hosea in week one, we saw that God opens up these minor prophets, these prophecies by telling Israel, uh, even though you've turned your back on me, I still love you. All right, Hosea, the book of Hosea, uh, we saw God's unconditional love for his people, the love he has for his people. And he said, even though you strayed from me, even though you begin to worship false gods, I still love you unconditionally. Return to me. And last week we saw something similar, right? As, 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 the prophet Joel spoke to the people. He was telling the people that God sends them a message of grace and mercy to them. And so they, he, he tell, he's telling the people, even in the midst of punishing them, right? We talked last week in the prophet Joel about how this locust plague has come to the area and, and they're already being punished, starting to be punished for their sin against God. The Lord says something impactful there in Joel that we were in last week, where he says, yet even now, yet even now you're experiencing my wrath, return to me and I will restore you because I am full of grace and full of mercy. So last week we saw the grace and mercy that the Lord has for his people. He's calling them, even in the midst of being punished, to turn around, repent of their sin and come back to him. And so that was, there was a at the end of that sermon where we talked about, the end of that text where we talked about how the Lord says to go and blow the trumpet, right? Go and gather the people and call for them to repent because the Lord is full of grace and full of mercy. And so and he will have mercy upon them. And so this week though, we're gonna change our direction, right? That's where we were the, fat, the first two weeks. This week, we're gonna change our view. We're gonna turn our attention from the people and place it on the prophet, 
And so today we're going to be looking at the prophet Amos. And so Amos is, uh, is a prophet here that we're going to dive into, the third prophet of the minor prophets of the 12. And so we're going to look and see how we are to respond as Amos responds, as he's giving the prophecy to the people of Israel. And so we're going to see a lot of similarities in Amos' calling to be a prophet as we are called as followers of Jesus to go out and proclaim Christ. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. And so as I say that, if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, we're going to be in Amos chapter 7 this morning. Amos chapter 7, starting in verse 10. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, look at the seat in front of you. Underneath it, you'll find a copy of God's Word. Now, every week I say this. Every week I encourage you to take out a copy of God's Word. I just want to say to you this morning, um, it's of utmost importance every day. But as we are in this Minor Prophet series, I really, really encourage you, pull out a copy of God's Word. Open it up to Amos chapter 7. That's the, the third book of the 12 Minor Prophets. We're going to be jumping through the text, and we're going to get deep into some of this text this morning. And so I just encourage you, please open up a copy of God's word um, and, uh, and as we dive into it. And so um, as, we, as you do that, as you're opening up a copy of the Bible, turning to Amos chapter seven, um, I wanna give you just a, a, a little bit of background as we do every week on this book. All right, we're not gonna spend all time going line by line, verse by verse through all these chapters in Amos. So I wanna give you a quick synopsis of this prophecy of Amos. And so Amos prophesied at the same time as Hosea. So again, if you were here with us in week one, just two weeks ago, he prophesied during the same time period as Hosea was. And if you remember, as we talked about, this was a time of peace and prosperity for both Israel and Judah, for both these kingdoms, both the north and the south. And so this is a time where there was peace uh, both Israel and Judah had been uh, successful in war. They had uh, really good uh, relationships with the uh, region surrounding them. They had, they had stricken up some, some uh, partnerships with the nations around them, some peace agreements, and they were wealthy, right? They had plenty of food, um, plenty of money. They were kind of growing as a world power. And so this is a good time in this land. But we see, as we saw in week one in Hosea, the more comfortable these people get, the lower their morality gets, right? They begin to fulfill their flesh, right? It's all about being and staying in comfort, right? They begin to sin against God. They begin to turn away from the Lord, start to worship uh, other gods that, that are convenient for them, that give them what their flesh desires. And so we see the more comfortable they get, the lower they get in their walk with the Lord. And so, uh, that's where we start today. All right, Amos is in this time period. Um, the Bible tells us here in Amos chapter one that he's from the town of Tekoa, which is in Judah, this southern kingdom, um, and, but very close to Israel, very close to the line. Tekoa is a, is a city in Judah about 12 miles south of the border of Israel. But we're going to find out as we read here that Amos actually crosses over that line and his prophecy is not to where he's living in Judah, but to the nation of Israel. So he actually leaves his home, goes to prophesy in Israel. And so we find that Amos is primarily writing to the nation of Israel. And so one interesting thing about Amos, too, is that throughout history, he's earned this, this pretty harsh nickname. All right, this nickname that he got throughout history is the, the minor prophet of wrath, 
And so we're going to see that because of the material that he is proclaiming to Israel. Right? This is given to him because of the harsh nature of the prophecy that the Lord has given Amos to preach. Right? Again, we just talked a little bit about this, but these people were sinful. They had turned away from the Lord. These are God's people. They've turned their back on the Lord. They've turned away from worshiping the Lord. And so they're a people full of sin, right? Swimming in broken relationship with God, swimming in the broken covenant of the Lord. And so all throughout the Old Testament, as we've walked through it, and as you walk through the Old Testament, you'll see this truth, right? That God is good. And that's what the people of Israel think. They say, God is good. And how many of you in here have ever heard that? Show of hands. God is good. I remember one time uh, I was, was on the lawnmower mowing my lawn at my old house. And it was like 100 degrees outside. I was sweating bullets. It was, it was crazy. I was, I was so hot. I was like, I just want to get this done. And I was listening to a sermon while I mowed. And this pastor, I can't remember his name, just random sermon on YouTube. This pastor came on and he said, um, the scariest verse in the Bible God is good. And I just stopped the mower, turned it off, sat in the middle of the sun baking. And I was like, what, what's, where's he going with this? And so he said, God is good. That is terrifying to us. That should be terrifying to every sinner, every man on earth. And I just thought, I don't understand what he's saying. And so he goes on, he talks about how because God is good, he must be just. Right? If he was unjust, that would make him not good, right? If, if he's, he's a judge, right, go courtroom with me here for a second. If God is a judge and there's someone in front of him who is guilty of a crime, if he doesn't give them the sentence they deserve, that would make him unjust, right? But the Bible tells us that God is a just God. He is good all the time. And so in order for that to be true, he has to give the sentence to crimes that are deserved. That makes him a just God. Because he is good, he is just. Well, the Bible tells us that our sin, that mankind's sin, it deserves wrath. Right? The punishment of sin is death. We see that over and over again in the Bible, right? in the Old Testament as well. That's why they, they sacrifice animals in the Old Testament. It's in order to be a righteous God, something has to die for our sin. And therefore, they would go and pick out a spotless lamb and they would sacrifice it to the Lord because the punishment, the wages of sin is death. Death, sin des deserves destruction, deserves wrath, it deserves death. And so that's where the people of Israel, as we're reading in Amos, are. God is telling them, Amos is telling them, the Lord has given me a message and it is this, my wrath is coming. Your sin deserves my wrath and I am a righteous God and I have to give righteous punishment because I am good. And so that's where they're at. That's where Amos is. That's how he's earned this nickname of the, the minor prophet of wrath. And so he begins, Amos, in this book, accusing all the surrounding nations first. The way that he approaches this is, is incredible. If we look on a map in the first two chapters of, of this prophecy of Amos, um, he starts first by accusing all the regions, all the, the, the cities and nations around Israel and Judah. 
And the harsher he gets with his words, he starts to just bring in this circle. And these crosshairs fall right on Israel, Israel and Judah. And so he, he begins to then focus in as we move into chapter 3, focus in and hammer the people of God. He says, you have turned against the Lord. The sins that you're committing are an abomination to the Lord. And they were, right? He goes through and describes some of the sins that the people of Israel were, were committing. Um, incest, adultery, drunkenness. Again, they're worshiping false gods. They're, they're sacrificing idols. These false gods are, are pushing them to even sacrifice their children. Human sacrifice is starting to take hold. But one issue that Amos really hammers home here is social injustice. This, there's a social injustice happening amongst the Jews, and it's happening to the poor, the ones who are in need. Right, the Bible tells us here in Amos that the rich and the powerful are getting more rich and more powerful, and they're beginning to trample on the backs of the poor. Amos says that they're, they're stepping, stomping the heads of the poor into the dust. They're gaining so much power that they're forcing poor people to sell them their own selves into slavery in order to feed themselves. Right, that's how bad the people of Israel, the leadership of Israel, the nation of Israel is getting. They're gaining so much power over resources that they're forcing poor people into slavery in order to survive. And so the, the prophecy that Amos gives this entire book is about God's wrath. And unlike the other prophets, if we read the other prophets as we looked at Hosea and Joel, it was like, here's a chapter of good, here's a chapter of bad. It's like destruction, restoration, destruction, restoration. And Amos Every chapter except for the last chapter is destruction. I will destroy you. So it's a very dark, heavy thing that Amos is bringing, a dark, heavy truth that Amos is bringing to the people of Israel. And so today, we're going to see how this prophecy that Amos is speaking to the people of Israel is affecting them. And we're going to see the response that they give him as he preaches truth in this land. So you guys ready to get in the word this morning? Yep. All right, let's go. Look at me here in Amos chapter 7, starting in verse 10 through 13, says this. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the middle of the house, in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophecy there. But never again prophecy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and is the temple of the kingdom. So here we're seeing the reaction, the reaction from the highest place, right? The king's court, the priest of the king's court is, we're seeing the reaction of this truthful, hard truth that, that Amos is preaching to Israel, right? We're seeing an unsettled people when they hear the truth, right? The people of Israel, they're unsettled by the message that Amos is preaching to them because things are going great for them, right? We just talked about that. 
time of peace, great prosperity, great time for Israel. They were prominent. They had money. They were a powerhouse in the world, stability, security. These people, they're laid back. They're, they're chilling. They're relaxing. We're good. Right? The rich are getting richer. They're fulfilling all their fleshly desires, the wealth, success, peace. They got it all. They're thriving. They're worshiping whatever God they want. We have free. We're free. We're freedom. We're good. Worship whatever God we want. Does that sound familiar? They're relaxed. They don't want to be shaken up. They're constantly searching for comfort, and they're finding it. But here comes Amos to crash the party. I mean, listen to some of the things that the Lord is saying to the people through Amos. All right, this is the things he's saying to shake them up. Look with me here. We'll have on the screen here. In Amos chapter 6, verse 1, Amos comes to the people of Israel and says this, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Woe to those who are at ease in Israel. And to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. He goes on in, in verses four through six to say this, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp like David and, and like David invent them for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. And so Amos comes to this land and he says, hey, hey y'all, woe to you. Woe to you. He comes in and preaches about God's wrath and destruction for the people who have turned their back on them. He's come to them speaking a hard truth. It's a hard truth. It's an important truth, right? It's not an unnecessary truth. It's a hard truth, and it, it doesn't come from Amos. It's coming from the Lord. And we'll get into that here in a minute. The Lord has sent Amos to tell the people, you have sinned against God, and he is righteous and just, and you're going to get his terrible wrath. And look how the people of Israel respond. They're distraught. Right? They, they're unsettled. They're distraught by truth. So distraught that this man, Amaziah, this, this high priest, he goes to the king to tell him that the Lord is saying through Amos um, that we will die by God's wrath, that God's wrath is going to come destroy us. And he tells the king, the land is not able to bear all of his words. I mean, think about that for a second. He's causing so much unrest just preaching the truth that God's called him to preach that the land is not able to bear any more of his words. And not only that, he lies to the king. All right, Amaziah goes to the king. He says, he says, for Amos has said that Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile. When you read back through these first six chapters before chapter seven, Amos never says that says that Israel will die by the sword. So it's much worse even than what this high priest is presenting to the king. He's, what Amos tells them, these whole first six chapters is this. There's going to be a plague of locusts. There's going to be fires. 
there's going to be a great army that's going to come and conquer. And everyone will die by the sword. So all these things that he's saying, the land is not able to bear. It's causing unrest amongst a comfortable people. So Amaziah, he goes back to Amos and he says, flee from here, go home, go back to the land of Judah. Stop stirring up our people. Stop stirring up the king. I, I, we don't see the king's response here, but he goes back and tells, he sends the high priest back to, to Amos and he tells him, he says, stop stirring up our king. This is a safe place for our king. This is the king's sanctuary. Right, we're comfortable and safe here. This is the king's sanctuary. Don't you know where you are? We're a powerful, mighty nation. Don't you know anything? But the truth of sin, the truth of Israel's sin has brought an unsettling feeling amongst the people and they don't like it. Right, that's what we're seeing here. That's their response to this. They do not like this unsettled feeling. So what does this mean for us today, right? What's the application here? Right, what, what, what do we see here? I mean, we, we see that, that, you know, this is a message that Amos has gone to, to Israel. He's talking to the Jews. He's, he's telling them that they've been sinful and that they need to turn back to the Lord, that the wrath is coming. How can we, what can we do with this today? So one way for this application to fit it today is this. Some of the people, again, that Amos is talking to, they weren't saved. They weren't they weren't believers. They weren't followers of the Lord. They had turned their back on the Lord. They turned away from God. And so for us, in our context today, when we are speaking to a non-believer, we have to speak to them in truth. Right? And the truth is this. If you don't have Jesus, you're, we'll start here. You're a sinner. Right? Number one, that's a hard truth for anyone to hear anyone who doesn't know the Lord, to tell them that they are a sinner, they don't want to hear it. I'm a good person. Compared to what? Right, compared to what? Where's, where's the bar? Where's the bar of good? In order to get into heaven, where's the bar? Is it like, you know, 16 hours of community service? Is it 40 hours of community service? Like, what's good? Well, the truth of the Bible tells us where the bar is. The bar is righteousness. The truth of the Bible also tells us that none of us on our own can, can gain it. We can't achieve it. Like we're all sinners. And if you're in this room today, you don't, this is your first time in church, you don't believe in God, you, don't, you got brought here by somebody, let me just tell you, first things first, you have to understand, everyone in this room is a sinner. Everyone outside this room is a sinner. Everyone in the church down the road is a sinner. Everyone walking the face of this earth is a sinner. There's only one man who's walked the face of this earth and did not sin, and that was Jesus Christ. All of us are sinners. And so when you tell an unbeliever that they are a sinner, and the penalty of their sin is death, that's an unsettling thing to hear. And we have to understand that a lot of us heard that for the first time. Almost all of us probably heard that for the first time at some point in our lives, that we were a sinner, and that we were going to die eternally for our sin. To hear that you're not good, that you're dead in your sin, and that your sin deserves God's wrath, according to the Bible, that's an unsettling thing to hear. And so when we say that to somebody, this is how they're going to respond. Right? Initially, this is the response that we're going to get from them. Get away. Go over there. 
I don't need to hear that. I'm comfortable. So when we're telling a non-believer, when we're speaking to a non-believer, this is what we can encounter. In this context as well, as we look at the application for this text, in this context as well, even, even a greater uh, application of this would be the fact that Amos is talking directly to God's people. And so the more direct application is when we confront a believer. Right? This can even be more sketchy. Right? Confronting a believer for a sin struggle. Right? None of us are perfect. Right? We've given our life to Jesus. If you're a believer in this room, you've given your life to Jesus. You've pl- placed your faith in the shed blood of Christ you're still going to sin. You're going to fall to temptation. You're going to fall to your flesh. We're not perfect. Right? We're righteous in God's eyes, but while we're here on earth, we will still struggle with our flesh. And one aspect of being a part of the church, of God's church, is that we'll be confronted as a saved follower of Jesus when we're not abiding in God's word. Right? When we're straying from God's word, it is charged to our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us and nudge us back in the right direction, right? To, to call us out for our sin, right? Second Timothy 4, 1 through 2, Paul says this, I charge you, church, in the presence of God in Christ, of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, and teaching. The Bible is calling us here. The Apostle Paul has called the church here by the Lord to instruct one another in the ways that God has taught us in his word. Right? All of us can fall to sin. Paul's calling for the, the people of the church to come alongside to bear the burdens of the people in the church, to come alongside and shepherd them back to a relationship abiding in Christ. And when we do this, when we shepherd believers who are falling to sin, we will often get pushback. Right, no one likes being called out, right? No one likes being called out. We'll get pushback. It's going to be unsettling for them to hear. And it may be unsettling for you to hear. Right, if you're in one of our small groups and someone says, hey, comes alongside you after group and says, hey, listen, I just noticed something. Like, I think that you have an idol. I think that you have an issue. The word of the Lord says that this is how you're supposed to behave and you're not behaving that way. This is how you're supposed to respond and you're not responding that way. That's what we're charged to do. That's not coming from us. It's not a judgment from man. The Lord tells us to interact this way as the church. It may be unsettling for you to hear, but when someone comes up to you and tells you you're not living as God has called you to live, it may be unsettling to you. And if you're the person that's doing it, it might be an awkward situation, a tense situation. And our pride might get in the way. Or shame or guilt might be masked as anger. But this is how we are to act. This is, this is how we are to act. As Amos did, he comes into a land full of God's people. He sees the issues. God speaks through him and says, tell the people they're walking down the path of destruction. Turn around. Turn back to him. And when we do that, we may get opposition. So how are we who are calling out this truth to respond to this opposition? Well, we see this. We see how Amos responds to the opposition here in verse 14. Read with me here. Eyes back on the text. Verse 14 of chapter 7 says this. 
Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from, the fo- from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with the measuring line. And you yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from this land." So here's how Amos responds, right? Amos says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet by trade. I don't, this is not what I do for a living. I'm not even the son of a prophet. And he's stating this because if we look earlier, just two verses earlier, uh, this, this is, he's been accused by this priest of Bethel, uh, Amaziah. Uh, he's been accused when he says in verse 12, Amaziah told Amos to flee and go back to Judah and eat bread there. Here the priest is insinuating that Amos is a professional prophet. Like he just saw an opportunity to make some money and that's why he's here prophesying to to Israel. He saw the opportunity to gain a financial increase or an increase in his livelihood. And so the priest to the king, Amaziah, is accusing him of this because he knows the game. He's like, I I play the same game. During this time, the priest of the king of, of Jeroboam, they were compensated very well for their prophecies. Because they worshiped the God of Baal, and that was a law of Baal. They, they were to, to be compensated for their prophecies by the king. They were paid well when they prophesied. And so this Amaziah, this, this head of the king's priest, he's saying, yeah, I get it, but go do it somewhere else. Go eat your bread in Judah. Go earn your living in Judah. Don't earn it here. You're unsettling our people. And Amos's response to that is, I'm not in this for the money. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a, I'm not a man of the cloth from generations. My father wasn't a prophet. I'm a shepherd and a fruit picker. Right? He's a, a dresser of the fig tree. It means he used to walk around the fields and open up the figs so that they could be ripe and they wouldn't bust. That's what he did. And he shepherded a, a flock. So I'm no one special. I'm here because the Lord Almighty, the great I am, told me to go. The Lord came to me while I was shepherding the flock. He said, go. And so that's why I'm here. That's what he says. I'm not here. These aren't my words. These are the words of the Lord. I'm here because the Lord has called me to be here. And I love that he says that. He makes that statement. And then without missing a beat, goes right back to what he was doing before. Verse 16 goes right back to it. It says, you say you do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, and then he goes right back into it. Hear the truth. I'm not a prophet. I'm not here for money. God told me to come here and say these things to you, and then he goes right back to saying them. This is how we must respond. And we have have the revelation of God. Amos has the revelation of God. Through this prophecy, through these visions, he's given the revelation of God. We have the entire revelation. Revelation of God. If you're in this room right now and you're a believer, you have the entire word of God in front of you. There are like 150 copies of the Bible in this room right now alone. The revelation of God, the word of God is in front of you. It is the truth. 
It's the truth that we stand on. The full revelation of the Lord is right here. And it's given to us as a tool by the Lord to instruct and to teach, to reprove and rebuke. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We must unashamedly speak truth to our brothers and sisters. If you're in this room right now, and you know of a brother or sister who's straying, right? someone you know has given their life to Jesus, but they're struggling in a sin. But God is calling you, the word is calling you to shepherd them back to abiding in God's word. And he's calling you to do that no matter what reaction you get. Right, when you look at Amos today, as you leave here and you think about this book that, that a lot of people don't read, right? these minor prophets, when you look at Amos today, I hope you see a bold man of God who walked faithfully into a land and said hard truth to God's people. And then when they pushed back, he didn't stop. He didn't go, okay, I've, I've upset people. I don't, I don't need to, I, don't, I need to stop. No. He said, this is the truth of the Lord. He just kept preaching the truth. We must continue to speak and preach the truth unashamedly in our small groups, in our families, in our communities, in church, everywhere. And we know opposition will come, but it can't hinder us from speaking the truth of God's word. We cannot be afraid to shake up the comfort. We live in a land where we are comfortable. We live in America. It is comfortable here. We cannot be afraid to shake up comfort. In our context today, I know that's scary. When you do this, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have some difficult conversations with people. Believers, non-believers, like you're going to have difficult conversations. As a believer, Paul calls us to bear the burdens of brothers and sisters. That means you have to put put some sweat in the game. It's going to be hard. But we stand on truth. We shepherd people to truth. We don't give advice. Right? These aren't Amos' words. Again, these are God's words. This is the way that he wants us to live. This is what we stand on. And so some people you love, they'll have to hear some hard things. You in this room may have to hear some hard things from someone you love, from someone who loves you. A fellow believer might have to come up to you one day and tell you some hard things. It might be hard to hear. Let me ask you this. If I'm walking through the pits of the Daytona 500 and I see some glass on the track, don't you think the drivers would want to know? I'm no professional race car driver by any means. I'm no mechanic, but I know a flat tire coming when I see one. If If I'm jogging through a park and I'm getting ready to go over a bridge and the whole bridge is out and I almost run into it and I, and I, I barely miss it and I detour from it and I know you're coming up behind me, I would hope that you would want me to stop you from running off the bridge. We're all susceptible to falling to sin, every single one of us. Wouldn't you want to know when you're about to do it, when you're on the path of destruction? That's what Amos is telling the people. Stop. You're on the path. The road you're walking down only leads 
to death and destruction. It only leads to shame. It only leads to God's wrath. If you're a believer in here, you belong to the Lord. We know he'll never destroy us. We belong to him. If you're sealed with the blood of the Holy Spirit, we belong to the Lord. But in Hebrews, he tells us, you're my children and I will discipline you. I don't want you to get disciplined. Stick to truth. Abide in the word. That's what we're here to do as a church. And so I just want to pray for that now. As we, as we finish out our service this morning, as we uh, go out into the world, if you're in this room right now and you're struggling with the sin, you're, struggling with, you're, you're a believer, but you're struggling with the sin pattern, if someone has called you out on that, you might, it might make you angry, right? It might be uncomfortable. You might be shamed about it. But just know that the Lord has called brothers and sisters to shepherd one another, and that's what they're doing. Right? If you're in this room right now, and there's a conversation you need to have. You need to shepherd someone back to the Lord. Have it unashamedly. Right, be bold. I want to pray for our boldness this morning as brothers and sisters of Christ. Not, not in anger. Right, in patience, as the Bible calls us. In patience, in teaching. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort one another. Just as Amos has done here. The truth sometimes is hard to hear but we have to hear it. We have to abide in it. So I'm gonna pray for that now. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the word of truth. We thank you, we thank you Lord, that you've told us that this is truth. Lord, as we walk through life as believers, we are given the instruction manual on how to do so, how to do so right, how to do so in a way that honors you and glorifies you. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray as we are a church who um, is called to preach your word and speak your word unashamedly, Lord, I pray that we are moved to do that this morning as a body of believers, that as believers in Christ, that we can walk out of here this morning and be bold, Lord bold in love, out of love for our brothers and sisters. That if we see them falling to sin, that we could approach them. You would give us the boldness to approach them. If there's anyone here this morning who knows of someone who they know is struggling in sin, who is of you, Lord, who belongs to you, use us, Lord, as tools. Use us as shepherds to move your flock off the road full of thorns and towards the the clean and clear road that you have made for us, Lord. Jesus, I just pray that for our people, Lord. I also pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in our lives as believers that needs to hear the gospel, that we do not fear, that we go boldly, even though we might get pushback, even though they might not want to hear it, even though we might get shunned from a group, we might get kicked out, that the only thing that matters, Lord, is that your kingdom is growing, that people are getting saved, Lord. Let us see the urgency. Give us a sense of urgency. Light a fire under us as a body of believers this morning to go and have difficult conversations. I pray for that, Lord, that you be in every one of these conversations, that you're at the center of these conversations, that, that in our, our only interest in having these conversations is to glorify you and to bring our brothers and sisters and the unbelievers into a walk with you. Lord, I pray that you guide us as we go out into the world to have these conversations, as we go out into the world to preach the gospel, to uh, rebuke.
reprove, rebuke, and exhort the way you've called us to, Lord. I pray that you guide us, that we're in prayer constantly about this throughout the week, that we're taking um, guidance from your word, but that we're directing people right back to the truth, which we know is in your word. So, Lord, I just pray that for our people. I pray that continually throughout this week, through this month, through years to come, that you use us as tools to help shepherd people to walk like you. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Church, you are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.